The Lord be with you. Good morning and welcome to Davidson United Methodist Church on this day that started off not so beautiful, but it's uh, sun is out. It's a beautiful day this morning. We are glad you're here. My name is Jim Humphreys. I am one of the pastors here uh, on staff at Davidson United Methodist, and we welcome you to worship on this 20th day. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, 20th Sunday after Pentecost. As you are coming in, I hope you will take just a moment and find uh, in your pew the worship booklet and sign uh, that uh, sheet and let us know that you are with us and then pass that down to the end of your pew so that everybody has a chance to sign that so we can know that you are worshiping with us today. In that booklet, you will find a prayer card. You'll also find a prayer card on the seat back in front of you, and if you have a person or a situation that you would like for us to be in prayer for. I hope that you will write that down and drop that in the offering plate when it comes around uh, in just a few moments because we want to be praying for you this week. A lot of things going on in the life of the church you will find uh, in your uh, worship bulletin today, and I hope you will take it home with you and, and look over the various ways that we have to be in, in ministry and in fellowship and learning with one another. I just want to point out a couple of things to you. Uh, we have a community prayer service tonight uh, at 6 o'clock. We're very excited about it. will not be here in the sanctuary, but it will be across the street, just uh, down the way, down the road, just a little bit, 100 yards or so across the street in our chapel, and that will be at 6 o'clock. And we hope that you can join us for that. It will be led by our young adult choir and musician, Mark Miller. Just a wonderful chance to to be in the presence of God through prayer and through music. And we hope you can join us for that. Also just want to point out that uh, we are providing food for the men's uh, shelter on November the 3rd, and we are in need of food. And so if you, have, if you can provide some food for the men's shelter on November the 3rd, sign-ups for that are across the hall in the fellowship hall. As we prepare to worship this morning, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let us pray. 
Loving God, draw us into the presence of your power and your comfort and your peace during this hour. Amen.
Let us confess our sins now before God and before one another with our prayer of confession. Let us pray. Merciful God, you are slow to wrath and quick to forgive, yet we confess our quickness to judge others while presuming mercy for ourselves. Forgive us, we pray. Free us from our need to be strict judges of good and evil so that we will live in trust of your divine mercy. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. stand for the reading of the gospel. This reading is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, beginning with the ninth verse. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Well, peace and grace be to you this morning. Uh, Friends, we are continuing this sermon series that we're going to do for the next uh, few weeks where we're looking at the parables of Jesus 
that are only found in the Gospel of Luke. We won't be able to look at all of them. Now, next Sunday, we're going to take a little pause on this for All Saints Sunday. And let me just kind of plug that. If you've never been to an All Saints Sunday service, it is just magnificent. And it's one of my favorite services of the year. You'll want to be here next week. It's just beautiful. So we'll, we'll pause next week, but we're going to look at some of the parables of Jesus only in Luke's Gospel. And today, we just heard this, this parable. And, and I got to tell you, we, we think we know what it means. And if you come to this parable thinking you know what it means, you better be careful because what will happen is that you will find yourself tangled up in in just a big mess. And I will just tell you, as your preacher this morning, this has been one of the most frustrating parables I've ever had to preach on. And the reason for this is because there are traps everywhere in this parable. It's just everywhere. So at first, you know, you're looking at it, you're hearing this, and you, you immediately think, all right, you're introduced to this Pharisee. And this Pharisee is just boasting of all of his piety in his prayer. Oh, Lord, I tithe. I give 10% of all my income. I fast twice a week. I mean, this guy goes way above and beyond even the requirements of the law on fasting. And then the Pharisee says, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like other people, especially like this tax collector. And if you say in response to this parable, well, I'm glad I don't pray like that Pharisee, you are the Pharisee in this parable. Or, or you could say the point, it might be this, is that you'll say, okay, okay, the moral of the story is I will just, I will just be like the tax collector uh, when I pray. And if you do that, you're just confident you're not like the Pharisee, which means you're just like the Pharisee. That's another (laughs) trap. (laughs) And then you could say, oh, oh, I know the point of this parable. I'll go home or I'll spend the rest of this worship service and I will just focus on my sins and just ask God for mercy. But see, if you do that, you're just as self-preoccupied as the Pharisee, only instead of focusing on all your goodness and your piety, you're just focused on your sins, which means you're just focused on yourself. Trap another one. Or, or this is the last one. I could keep going. But, or you may say, oh, oh, I got it. I know what this parable means. I will just go home and work on being humble. Which is an arrogant thing to say because you can't work on being humble. See, because you can't think of yourself at all if you're going to be humble. So, I mean, there are just traps everywhere. How do I preach on this? And so uh, we're, we're going to have to look at this a little bit differently. Uh, one of the things that you may know about the parables of Jesus is that the parables of Jesus in their original context when they were first told by the Lord, man, they just confounded people, they shocked people, aggravated people. And if you think about it, if you think the whole point of this parable is, well, I'll just differently. Well, that's not confounding. That's not really shocking. Yeah, that doesn't really do anything to to just kind of shake the senses uh, awake at all. So my point is, is that when the disciples of Jesus heard him tell this parable for the first time, they would have been bugged. They would have been annoyed by it. And I guess my argument is, is that if we're not a little bugged by the conclusion of this parable, then we probably really haven't heard it at all. And so my my job is going to be like, how how can we really hear this, this parable? All right, so we hear it, and immediately, immediately, we do this. Immediately, we want to take sides with that tax collector, and we want to cast the Pharisee as the bad guy. Ooh, ooh, the Pharisee, bad guy, bad guy. Let me be very clear here. The Pharisees, the ancient world, yes, yes, they were the antagonists of Jesus, no doubt. 
But the Pharisees in the, in the ancient world, they really were considered to have the reputation of being the good people of society. They were the good guys. Uh, let me put it to you like this. If a family of Pharisees moved into your neighborhood, you'd be like, yes! This is great. They would give uh, more value to your home. I'm serious. I mean, Pharisees in those days, they lived by really high moral and ethical standards. They attended worship every week faithfully. They raised their children in the right way. I mean, they really cared about honesty and integrity, all of these good things. Think about what the Pharisee says here, even if it's in his prayer. He, he ties all his income. He fasts twice a week. What does that mean? This is someone who really, really took his faith seriously. This is the kind of person churches would love to have join their church. This is the kind of man that we would say, put this man on the stewardship committee now. Put him on finance. Put him on the administrative council. This man is a good man. This is what we would think about this Pharisee. Good, good. So the tax collector, though, on the other hand, how can I put this? Tax collectors in the ancient world, they would be our equivalent of like a mafia member. It's the best I can come up with, like gangsters. It was a tax collector's job to, wait for this, collect taxes, but they collected taxes for the Roman Empire. Well, the Jews could not stand this because they were, they were funding the imperialists. And, and it was the practice of tax collectors to uh, inflate the tax bill a little bit. So they would take a little off the top for themselves. So they did this all the time. People just in, were infuriated with the tax collectors. So the tax collectors really trafficked in a kind of fraud. And to make matters worse, they did pretty well on this scheme. They, they got wealthy by taking a little off the top and really hurting other people. So this tax collector would have had a pretty good income, lived very comfortably all together. And so, so my point is, is that everybody in Jesus's original audience hearing this parable for the first time, they would think it would be the Pharisee that would go home justified. And yet it was the tax collector who's shady who went home justified. And then, and then to add insult to injury, there is nothing in this parable. Look at it. There is nothing in this parable to indicate that this shady tax collector went home and reformed his life. He didn't go home and just say, oh, I've been received all this mercy. I better change my ways. Nope, nope. For all we know, we don't know. We don't know. For all we know, this tax collector could have gone right back to the racketeering. So, so what's going on in this parable? Like, so what, what's Jesus getting at? Okay, so here's my uh, thought for us this morning. So we can think about this parable in a, in a different way. All right, I think that what Jesus is doing here is that he is exposing once again what seems to be basic to the human condition. And it's this, that our sense of self, how you and I understand ourselves, always comes through other people. Always. 
Now, we live in a society that says, oh, you're a free agent. You're a free person. You're free to choose whatever path you want in life. You are free, 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 free. Mm, 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 mm. Nope, 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 nope. Actually, if you think about it, uh, you and I, we are, we are totally bound up in the desires of other people. And we just want what other people want, and we imitate them. We're imitators. That's just what we are. We're not free agents, right? Making our own choice. We actually imitate other people. I'll, I'll prove this to you. So why are you this morning dressed in the style that you're dressed in in 2019? Because one day you woke up and said, I think I'll dress with a tie or whatever you're wearing. No, you're dressed the way you're dressed because you're imitating how other people dress. This is why when you go back and look, or at least when I do, when I go back and look at photos of myself in the 1980s and the 1970s, and I'm like, what were we thinking? You know, like jams, Sebagos without socks and acid wash jeans. It was just horrible. What were we thinking? We weren't thinking. We were imitating. That's just what we do. Or here's another question. Like, why do you drive a Prius or an SUV or whatever car you drive? Because you woke up one day and said, I think I'll freely drive an SUV and I hope they make one. No, you're actually imitating the desires of other people. They drive SUVs and you said, I think I want that too. And now you're driving the car that you are driving. This is why marketing is so effective on us, right? They, they model what we are supposed to be. So my point is this, is that we always understand who we are through other people. It's just a fact. Now, sometimes this is fine. Like you think about it now, you speak English, I speak English. Why do we speak English? Because we imitated the people around us who speak English. And this is how we learn the language, okay? But there are other instances where when we're desiring and imitating other people and want what they want, what this will lead to, and I've talked about this before, is it will lead to conflict and it will lead to rivalry between people. And when that happens, we understand ourselves through other people, but now we understand who we are over against other people. So we create these rivals. And when we do that, we always think of ourselves as being superior to our rivals. They're inferior, but we are superior. You know what we do when that happens, everybody? What we do is we huddle up in these little groups, these little camps, these little camps of the like-minded. And inside our little camps, we think that we are so much better than those who are not in our camps. So think about like anything in our culture of identity politics today. This is like a big thing for us. I think just, just go down the list, elementary checklist, like conservatives, liberals, um, vegetarians, carnivores, Methodists, Baptists, Alabama, Auburn, doesn't matter. It does not matter. We, we, we huddle up inside our little camps and we think we have the moral superiority over those who are not in our camps. And see, this is why liberals think they're so much better than conservatives and conservatives think they're so much better than liberals. It's why uh, we Methodists are like, wow, I'm so glad I'm not a Baptist, you know? Those crazy Baptists. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's why, it's why when, when, when music directors get together in groups, they think they're so much better than the clergy, and, and then we are the same way about them. It's just, it's just what we do. We are better than them. You know, you, you think about rivalries in sports. I'm a Carolina fan. You know this. We know as Carolina fans, we are so much better than the Duke people, right? They, they're fools. They're fools. So we, we do this. We always think we're morally superior to those who are out side of us. Now, here's the thing that we never noticed. We don't notice this because guys, this just happens to us. We do this without even thinking about it. Here's what happens. Here's the thing. No one ever realizes that they need their rival to understand who they are, which means the rival is the one who's got all the power and the authority over them. So as another example, as a Carolina fan, and I'm not really big on sports analogies, sometimes they can get lame, but uh, you know, as Carolina fans, we say, you know, when's Mike Krzyzewski going to retire? He's got to retire. When is he ever going to retire? Well, you know, as a Carolina fan, we know that if he does, we're not going to know what to do with ourselves. You know, we need him. We need him to exist. Otherwise, we don't know who we are anymore. See, this is what happens uh, to us. So, so here's my point. The Pharisee basically got his sense of self over against this tax collector, but he never realized that it's the tax collector who was in control of him, had all the power over him. He was running him, motivated by him. And here's the zinger. Here's the zinger of the parable. The Pharisee seems to have believed that God participated in this little system of good guys and bad guys, that God sides with the good guys, he's against the bad guys, anybody who doesn't follow the commandments of the Bible, God must be opposed to that. God must have rivals too. See, the Pharisee seems to have lived in that kind of world. Now we can see why this parable begins to frustrate the disciples. It starts to confound them a little bit. Now, I want you to think for just a moment about the commandments. I want you to think about commandments like tithing, um, like fasting. I want you to think about commandments like keeping the Sabbath or even coming to church, you know, assembling together as people of God. This is one of the commandments. Now, let me ask you a rhetorical question. Are the commandments good? Yes. Yeah, tithing teaches you generosity. Fasting will teach you self-control. But here we go. Unless we're really careful, all the commandments of God, once we begin to follow them, they can give us a sense of our own goodness. I'm good. And once we think of ourselves as being good, we're going to create people who are bad and who do not live up to our own standards. And instead of loving our neighbor, which is the whole point of the commandment, all of them, you're going to hate them. And that's exactly what this Pharisee got called up in. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, not like him. Nothing, everybody, Nothing is more dangerous 
than cultivating our own sense of goodness and righteousness over others. When that happens, that's what justifies hatred. That's what justifies violence. And think about this. That's what put Jesus on the cross. Remember, the faithful law abiders knew this guy was a blasphemer. He didn't live up to the standards of the law. And they put him to death. Nothing is more dangerous than thinking you are good over others. The Pharisee in the parable was a good man. He was a good man. The problem was he knew he was a good man. And that justified his displeasure, dislike, even contempt for that tax collector. And and, and what Jesus is teaching in this parable is that God does not participate. God really does not participate in our little games of goodness and badness. God is not against. God is never over against anyone. Who is God then? God is simply a fountain of mercy. That's who God is. He's just a fountain of mercy for all who call upon him. That's who God is. Pharisee tithed. The Pharisee fasted. The Pharisee went to church. Great. Where did all of that come from? It came from the very mercy of God. It was the mercy of God that enabled the Pharisee to live the way he lived. And the same mercy that, that, that caused this Pharisee to live this upright life is the same mercy that justified that shady tax collector when he called upon the Lord in the church. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to put too much of myself in this. I really do wish that the parable here would have ended a little differently. I wish, I wish that we could know that that tax collector left church and he said to himself, all right, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to reform. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to leave my shady business dealings. I'm going to stop defrauding people everywhere I go. I I would love that because you know this. I mean, we know this. Like the mercy of God, the grace of God, man, the grace of God has the power to change us. The grace of God has the power to conform us to this God. I wish that the parable would end with Jesus saying or God saying to the tax collector, go and sin no more. But here's what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus does not give you and I the luxury of that kind of tidy ending. And I think the question Jesus wants us to ask is that can you and I accept, can you and I live with a God who really doesn't have rivals? Who, that Jesus was serious when he says that ours is a God who causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous and who freely bestows mercy to all. So the question is not, well, am I going to imitate the tax collector or should I be like the Pharisee? We're going to imitate somebody. I think the question is, can you and I imitate the other character in this story is the Lord, is God. Can we imitate this God who just, he's 
just love. He's just a fountain of mercy, showering the good, showering the not-so-good alike. All right. So to all you tithers out there, and to all of you other people who may know what it's like to deal in a little shadiness on the side, it is my job as your Sunday morning preacher, and based on this parable, to say to all of you, tithers and tax collectors, you, it was grace that brought you safe thus far, and it'll be grace that leads you home. In response to God's word this morning, I invite you to stand as we affirm our faith with the traditional words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. Scripture tells us that the Lord's ears are attentive to our prayers, and so I invite you now to join me as we go to God in prayer this morning. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, your name alone is exalted. For your glory is above heaven and earth. And yet your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is meek and humble of heart. 
So, Lord, deliver us from the desire to be honored and praised and revered so that we might sincerely pray as John the Baptist prayed, Christ must increase, but I must decrease. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Generous God, because you have saved us by your grace, help us reflect your grace in the ways we welcome and love and forgive one another. Give us humble hearts that long not to be served, but to serve. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer, Lord, for your church and for your world and for all your children according to our needs. We pray for unity among our divided nation. We pray for peace and for justice in regions of war and terror. We pray for sustenance in places of scarcity. We pray for healing where there's pain. We pray for understanding and love where there's bigotry and hatred. And we pray, God, that we would not simply be hearers of your word, but doers. That your kingdom truly will come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for our church today. And continue to lift up the ministry of all in Guatemala, including all your servants who give of their time and their gifts to this ministry, out of their love for you and their love for their brothers and sisters in Guatemala. Bless their work, Lord, to, to bring education and scholarships to children that they would know of the love of Jesus Christ in their lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Loving God, we pray today for those who grieve and who mourn, whose hearts are heavy with loss. We especially lift up Lee Stapleton and the death of her mother this week. And as is our tradition, we lift aloud now into this space our concerns as we pray for God, cover us all with your love. And open our eyes every day to the blessings that you've given us. The greatest of which is the abundant and the eternal life we have in Jesus Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Thank you, God, for such great love given to us in Jesus Christ. 
our Savior and Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Think for a moment about how blessed you have been in your life, and consider those blessings as uh, we invite our ushers to come forward. As I will uh, remind you again, as I did last week, that we are in a season of stewardship, and our stewardship uh, theme this season is commit, give, and grow. So I would invite you to consider how you can commit more of yourselves uh, this season as you can grow in your love of God.
Gracious God, your generosity overflows. Accept these, our gifts, so that with your blessing, we may use them to proclaim Christ in our community and beyond. Amen. our mission as a church saying, we will be the body of Christ in our community through worship, education, fellowship, and service. Brothers and sisters, go now in peace and glorify the Lord with your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore.